Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive at Young Enterprise. Welcome to Enterprising Mindsets, a podcast series exploring what an enterprising mindset is and how it can help us to live, learn and ultimately lead in the future. My guest today is Pinky Lalani, CBDL. She's an author. She's an internationally acclaimed champion for women. She's the force behind the Women of the Future program, a portfolio of global events, projects and networks that support women, celebrate their talent and success, and in doing so, help to burst open the female leadership pipeline. Over the last 25 years, Pinky has done an incredible amount to move the needle on gender equality and also to agitate change and progress on the diversity and inclusion agenda. In 2018, she shone the spotlight on leadership in top firms in the UK with an inaugural 50 Leading Lights list. She has won several awards for her work and was listed as one of the 100 most powerful women in the UK by BBC Radio 4, Woman's Hour. Pinky, it's a privilege to talk to you today. Hi. Hi, Sharon. It's so wonderful to be on with you. I've been researching you. You have a fascinating journey. It's hard to know where to start, but perhaps you could help us by giving us a brief summary of the circumstances that led to publishing your first and now famous book, Spice Magic. Well, that is so many years ago, but I started uh, teaching cookery to adults um, and all my pupils started telling me, well, why don't you write a recipe book? But I had no clue how you really publish a book. So I decided that I would self-publish. I was so lazy, I didn't go and find a publisher and decided to self-publish. And it was really hard to uh, you know, write a recipe book because I just cooked from the heart very intuitively, throwing all the ingredients in. And so when you write a recipe book, you have to be very measured. And I had to get lots of people to look at it and tell me how it was going. And actually, I decided to write Spice Magic, which I researched for a very long time. Um, but when I, the book came, there were thousands of them. And after selling, you know, a hundred of them to my best friends, I had all these copies and I didn't know what to do with them. And I had to sell my car, buy a little car and stock all the books in the garage. And then decided how do I sell these books? I started bringing up all the bookstores and saying I've written a cookery book. Well, they weren't very impressed because they know so many authors and writers. So they said, are you a celebrity? Are you on TV? And I said, no. Well, nobody wanted to know. Then I actually came up with the idea that I told one of them, if I bring my electric wok and cook spicy Bombay potatoes in the shop, in five minutes, will you let me sell my book? And I think this guy felt very sorry for me and said, okay, we'll do that. We'll even serve some wine. And so I took along my spice box and the ingredients in my books and plugged in the wok and the smell of garlic got everyone coming. And they started buying the book. And so then I started traveling around the country with my walk in my book in my spice box and that was the start. And that mindset, that uh, enterprising mindset for you to kind of say, well, I'm going to find a way to do this. Did that just start then or is there a history to that? You know, how did how did you start with that enterprising mindset? I think really that was probably the point where it started. Before that, I had no real need to be enterprising because I was really, you know, a stay-at-home mom. I mean, stay-at-home, but I was out all the time. I was in a lot of charity committees. I was socializing a lot. I would be entertaining a lot, but I didn't have a real need to be creative till that point. How would you describe an enterprising mindset? What does it mean to you personally? For me, it means, you know, finding challenges and overcoming them, thinking of different ways of doing things, being creative. I love to come up with something different. I love challenges. So even if I'm hosting 
say lunch, I used to always have a theme for the food. I'd make people dress up um, and do things differently because I think that gets people talking, thinking, and it keeps the brain ticking really because if it's the same old thing and it's monotonous and gray, we're not going to think differently. You have to have to think outside the box. So even now, a lot of my corporate meetings are done at home because normally on a Friday, half my team work from here in non-pandemic days. And I always from your house? From my house. And so they actually, I would tell people, why don't you come for a meeting to my house and we can eat because I'm cooking anyway. And it's a wonderful way of getting people over and bonding and nurturing over uh, over food. Your intro is just filled with you making change, driving change. How have you gone about doing that? Do you have you used food a lot? I mean, how do you how do you open doors? How do you how do you start a conversation? Well, one thing that people love, you know, a lot of people when they go to networking events say they're hard pressed when they meet people they don't know what to talk about. And two things I think always work is when you ask people about themselves and their family and then you talk about food because suddenly uh, Sharon, there's a universal interest in food. When I first came to England in 1978, I mean, food was pretty bland. There were a couple of Indian takeaways and they would pride themselves in doing a vindaloo, which was like something I couldn't even eat. It was too spicy. But I think now we have such a culture of food. And so food is such a great way. And there's real people experimenting with new food. So when you invite them over for food or talk about it or say, you know, I can teach you how to make this. Uh, they're very interested. So it's a very easy starter. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've done. That you talk, we talk, don't we, about moving the needle on gender equality. You've done an incredible amount to 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 drive change. Tell us a little bit how you got into doing that and why you feel so passionately about it. Sharon, thank you so much for saying that I've done um, so much to drive. I mean, I feel I've done very little. There's so much more to be done. But I think really for me, it was, um, the, I really believe in giving women a platform. I think what I discovered before I started the Asian Women of Achievements Awards, that there was so much of stereotyping. Everyone thought Indian women stay at home and fry onion pudgers and just look after their husbands and children and really don't have a voice and a mind. And I knew that I, you know, I thought a lot and I wanted to speak up. And so that's why I set up my first awards program, the Asian Women of Achievements Awards. And I had no idea how I would get these women. I'd come across some amazing women who weren't doing, you know, the sitting at home routine. But how would I find a range of them? I didn't just want to give an accolade to those who got accolades because that was what awards were about. I wanted undiscovered stories because what always inspires me is hearing a new story. So this morning I was really excited because my first call was with a young Ugandan girl who's an aeronautical engineer and she's with Rolls-Royce. And I think she was the second aeronautical woman engineer from Uganda in Uganda's history. And I was so excited. I love discovering people who I haven't heard about. So my whole real you know, vision and plan is how do we give women a platform? How do we get people heard who nobody has heard of? How do we connect them? Because I think networks are such a powerful force for good when they work well. So for me, that's been my vision of how, you know, what we do for women. 
And it's interesting you talk about building your network. That's great, isn't it? If you've got contacts, if you're confident, if you're able, feel able to just walk into a room. What about if you're not so confident and you perhaps haven't got a personal network? Is there any advice you would give to someone setting out to build their network? I think I would say go to different networking events because the more you go, perhaps the more confidence you gain. And also you come across a wide variety of people. So one, you know, what you know, one trick may work in talking to someone, it may not work on someone else. But always if you're a very good listener, that helps too. And so I think that's very important for people to remember that a lot of people don't feel comfortable. I know people sometimes say, oh, I don't want to go to a networking al- uh, event alone. Would you come with me? I love going to a room where there are 100 people I don't know because there are 100 more stories I can hear. So I think, you know, it's the mindset when you go in. And there are a lot of people like myself who will actually seek out people who are looking scared, who are looking shy, who are looking as if there's no one to talk to and go and talk to them. And actually, they sometimes have the most interesting story. There's a theme here, isn't there, Pinky? You're genuinely interested in people. You're genuinely interested in hearing undiscovered stories. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, I've done my research. Tell us a little bit how you actually started the celebration of, of women leaders. Well, it was 1999 when I had the idea. And I actually started around my breakfast table, got a few friends. I thought I'd, you know, see what I can do. And I started walking the streets of London then, stopping people who looked remotely Asian and saying, you know, I'm running an award, would you like to enter? And I think they looked relieved that I wasn't asking them for money. <laughs> and some of them kind of quickly started running away, but others would actually, you know, they were looking at this Indian woman who had the audacity to stop them and start talking. And we did get a few nominations that way, but I called in a lot of favors from people I knew because I did a lot of uh, voluntary and charity work and you know, there were some people that we were well known, you know, we all knew at that time, like uh, Meena Patak, who ran the Patak Spice Company. Uh, but there were also some amazing, amazing other people. And I think what really helped me is um, Sherry Blair. Sherry was then the prime minister's wife. She had a lot of, um, uh, you know, she has a lot of charisma. And I actually wrote to Downing Street, inviting her to come to the awards. And she accepted and I asked her to wear a sari. And she actually wore one of the Indian outfits we took and she loved what we saw. And she was so supportive. And I think you need all kinds of different supports. So and that kind of helped me. And after that, she was opening so many doors for us. And also, I think, Sharon, life is all about timing. The timing was right. There was the hunger in people, in general society, to be seen to be doing more for women, for ethnic minorities. So actually, timing was crucial. And it's interesting, isn't it? It feels like we are in another moment right now in terms of reflecting as a country, as a global uh, world, in, in terms of how we address racial equity, racial inequality. You know, what's your views on what you're seeing play out uh, on the world stage right now? You're absolutely right. Again, it's another moment. But what always kind of concerns me, Sharon, is I hope it's not just a moment. And that's the trouble with, you know, emotions are high. The pandemic was there. It was like a perfect storm. And they said it was the first time in America that white people had come out to support, you know, the black people in this. And that's why it became more powerful. And a lot of big companies have actually come out and said, we're going to have 20% of black people by this time, etc. And I... I'm always wary of setting too many targets because then, 
you know, if you can't achieve them or you just put people in, push them because you want to achieve your target, they're not the right people. They're actually doing a disservice to everyone. And with many things, because I've been around so long, things have that peak. And then, you know, the default um, category leaves people go back very much to being what they always are, maybe with minor changes. So I think it's a very good time for me. Can I bring in a new little angle to this? It's the importance of kindness, because kindness lies at the heart of all our programs, it's the DNA. And suddenly, the work we're doing on kindness, we've just done some research of kindness in a crisis, shows that in these times, again, people are looking for kind leaders who are courageous. They want people who are, again, going back or transparent or candid, who actually, you know, have got vision and who have optimism. And that's very interesting because optimism suddenly has become a very important trait of a leader, whereas before the crisis, when we did research, it wasn't high on the list of importance. That's so true. And I think there's a genuine difference, isn't there, between positivity and optimism. Optim- optimism very much is acknowledging the challenging situation that we're in, the environment we're in, but it's it's imagining a better future, isn't it? It's imagining and, and working with people to create that better future. So your view on optimism is, is really, really interesting. Tell us a little bit about the research that you've undertaken regarding kindness in leadership. Yeah, you see, so every year, Three years ago, I put my money where my mouth was because I kept saying we need kind leaders. And people were a little skeptical, saying kindness is like a soft trait. You can't be successful and kind. You have to be hard and brutal to be successful. And I don't agree. I think when people are kind leaders, they go from being successful to being significant. And that's what Professor Lala Jury, one of my favorite professors from Oxford, once said. And it's so powerful because... Um, We did some research last year on kindness and leadership. We launched our first kindness and leadership 50 leading lights three years ago. We're doing our, um, you know, we've launched again this year. It's on, you know, and nominations close next month. But I think kind leaders are very important. So we were looking at what are the differences in leadership traits that are being displayed and are needed in a crisis. And so we've done this research with Side Business School and Holland Partner, and we've actually sharing that research because there's some real nuggets like courage, resilience, optimism, and things like fairness, which used to be very high. People wanted fair leaders in you know, pre-pandemic times. Now they don't. fairness has dropped, I think, to eighth in the, the kind of uh, leadership qualities that people need. And people are looking at leaders. A lot of people said, I think 45% said they would stay longer in their companies than they had anticipated because their leaders were kind. And what kindness brings also is loyalty. So I think those are the kind of things we need post-pandemic to make our economy thrive. And how do you think that COVID will change the narrative around how we lead? I think it definitely has made people a whole section of the population much more compassionate because COVID, you know, it it could hit anyone. So everyone's affected in many ways. Yes, disproportionately those who perhaps were uh, not as advantaged, people who came from certain minority communities were more Uh, you know, prone to getting it. But really, in many ways, everyone had to stay in their homes. Nobody could go out. Nobody could travel. All those things, it was a great great equalizer. I think people have become more compassionate. I think they listen. They realize 
that we don't have all the answers. Suddenly, we we were able to control so much of our lives. I think people felt that loss of control if they wanted to fly somewhere to go and see someone, get married. There was no power. We didn't have the power. So I think post-COVID, I know from all the people I've spoken to, people, a lot of them like a bit of flexible working. They would never have been permitted the amount they have. And I think they will not go back to the way it was before. I think also it's made us very appreciative of all the things that we were able to do so easily without ever recognizing it. And so I, I think people have become more mindful and that's important and reflective. And, and you know, you also really uh, realize that, you know, we all have our little part to play. And one thing that's been quite interesting for me to notice it's the blind leading the blind everywhere because the government's U-turning constantly. Everyone is because nobody knows what the correct answer is. So it's been a very interesting and I think a very reflective time for a lot of people. And I want to go back and revisit when you talked about the moment that we're in right now regarding racial equity and you saying it needs to be more than a moment. I hope it's not a moment. Looking over the last 25 years, you've done an incredible amount to to agitate change. And I'm really struck by what you said uh, about we should use this opportunity to do things differently and not go back to the way it was before. What can we all do? to make sure that this change, this moment does change how we take care of each other, how we look at, look after each other, our approach to uh, meritocracy, our approach to equity on a sustainable basis and not that it's just a moment that passes us by. I think, you know, um, Aristotle once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act. The habit. And I think with everything in life, once we do things repeatedly, it becomes part of what we are. So I think we have to practice, you know, things like mindfulness, compassion, thinking of others, being empathic. We have to make that a giving others who don't have a voice. For me, it's the whole, my whole life is about um, giving people a voice who don't have a voice. I've found when we take these young girls and the women of the future, who've never been on a platform and give them a platform. We open a door, we take them somewhere where they've never been, and it gives them such confidence. And that confidence carries them through. I think we owe it to everyone else to help them, because I think you never really lose anything by giving other people things. So if you keep opening doors for others, this lovely story, two weeks ago, somebody connected me with this girl who'd come to um, England really at the beginning of the pandemic. So she came, she just got married and came with an arranged marriage, was with her husband, hadn't met anyone in the country, obviously was looking for a job, she came from India. And two weeks ago, somebody got in touch with me and said, you know, you've got a network, she's from India, can you talk to her? And I spoke to her and the next day I was having eight people for a socially distanced lunch at my house. So I, I told her, I said, why don't you come? Because I felt she'd never met anyone in England, really, in the pandemic. So she came and she told one of the girls she was looking for a job. And that girl asked her, well, send me your CV. We're not taking anybody on now, but, you know, when we do. And I thought that was really nice. And actually, she's got her first interview with them today. So I think we can. We all have much more power than we think we do. And we all have to constantly think of ways where we can help others. Perhaps we're at a point where we're not reassured by the leadership that we have. And it sent, I sense that 
we are looking for. We're searching for leadership right now. And perhaps there is an opportunity to create our own leaders and for leadership actually not to be a badge or to be a ticket that you, you or a right, but it's something that you earn. And actually it's more an active verb rather than describing a role. Absolutely, Sharon. You, you've hit the nail on the head. And it's something that we, and I think we must have the courage. Again, courage comes up because sometimes you think of doing something and you think, oh, well, nobody's done it, so maybe it's not going to work. Because we always think, oh, if it's, it, you know, it's going to happen, somebody would have done it. Somebody's much cleverer than me and would have thought of it. But I've found that we can actually be, I, to have the courage of your conviction, to follow your heart, your intuition, because we know what is right. And sometimes we follow things that aren't right because everyone else is following them. And now I'm, I am so uh, aware of the fact that we have to stand up and speak out, because if we don't speak out, then we're actually complicit in, in really not doing things that are right. So I think you all you need for the forces of evil to succeed are for a few good men to do nothing. So we have to learn to find our voice. You know, we have to be courageous, but we have to also make sure we don't speak out too much too often, because then you sometimes lose the impact. So it's getting that knowing what is right and to what extent is very important. I've often thought about this. When you, you talk about kindness, you talk about bringing people in, about helping people find their voice. And I'm often struck by, uh, we talk about calling out, don't we? And I wonder whether actually we should be calling in, we should be bringing people in to encourage people to have the conversation, however difficult it is. If people feel that they have a voice, they might have a very different opinion. But unless you're bringing people together to discuss things, we're always going to be quite polarised. I just wondered what your view on that was. You know, I learned so much every single day because I, right at the start of the pandemic when I felt really helpless because all my work was about meeting people, hosting big events, and suddenly the whole model was changing. My business was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So I thought I have to do something and what you have to do what you like because that's the only way you can be authentic. That's the only way the energy flows. If I do things that I'm not comfortable with, Sharon, I find a reciprocity in people. So the minute I find you do things for people, people want to repay you. And I know for me, I want to repay. Anytime somebody's kind to me, I'm looking at ways of what can I do? So I think really when you talk to people, you realize you give them hope and you give them a belief in themselves because it's only when we all join forces that we're going to make a difference. A single voice, it's, it's not the easiest you know, thing to get, change the world, to change the world order. And for me, equality and the way you treat people, respect, is so important. So I think we're really looking at qualities like that just now. And it's not about being complicit, is it? It's not about actually addressing or tackling the issues. I guess it's how we go about doing that, isn't it? We have young people who are in, have been incredible in terms of their eloquence in in kind of and, and utilizing their voices in the recent A level situation, etc. In terms of how we help young people find their voice and their role as leaders, how do you think we could do that? I think, you know, one thing, young people need good role models, mentors, champions. I think especially women, I find, I think everyone does, but I'm working in that agenda. If you had a champion or sponsor, somebody who believes in you more than you believe in yourself, somebody who opens a door, because all of us have huge moments where we falter, where we're like unsure and you need somebody else just saying, no, that's good, keep going. 
And we found that really that is so important. So young people, you know, a lot of them come across with a lot of bravado. They have big dreams, but they don't have the connections that more senior people who have more, you know, have spent more time building networks. Actually, the other day, this amazing young girl who's a third-year medical student, um, and she told me her father's nurse and worked throughout COVID, and he really wants to study medicine, become a doctor. So she said, can I talk to you? Because we don't have the money to do that. And so should I do a GoFundMe page? And I said, I can discuss all the options with her. But then I spoke to somebody else at one of the big universities who knows a lot about these things. And she said, Pinky, maybe we'll show her an easier way than going to a GoFundMe page because that may not raise the money. And then you have to, I guess, you know, how do you return all that money if you don't? And so I actually connected her with this woman who's going to help her find an easier way. Sometimes we know shortcuts. And therefore, we have to help these young people in every way. I think all of us should take responsibility for being a real a missionary to the courts. And you talk about no shortcuts. I'm really interested. What sustains you to keep an enduring enterprising mindset? Well, I, I think otherwise you die if I don't <laughs> do something new. Um, it's very, you know, once I've done something well, well, I want to move on to something else. So I've already got another global idea that I'm, I'm trying to launch. And I thought of it as a think tank, but it's not. It's just really a little group of six people that we're going to thrash out the issues and see what we can do in this particular arena. And actually, when you bring so many different minds together, there is so much that comes up that you would never have known. And I think everyone brings different ideas. So that's what I think we, I need creativity because that's the only way I live. If I don't do something new, I die. Pinky, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on Enterprising Mindsets today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your creativity. Thank you for your service. Um, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. This has been so, it's such an honour. Thank you, Sharon. Enterprising Mindset Podcast is part of a series from Young Enterprise. To listen to more, please subscribe to us in your usual podcasting services. Thank you for listening.